Bonjour, good morning. So today we're going to be uh, a lot more, a lot less formal than than yesterday. Uh, it's kind of nice just to have a small group here. So like he, like uh, Grant said, we'll talk for a little bit, and then any questions you want to talk about, uh, Nicole will join me up here, and we'll happy to do our best with them. So. Um, let me start off with, have you ever been in a job or a class or a group where you wondered if anyone cared or even knew you were there? <laughs> Not in heads. <laughs> Maybe you were put into a place with little context, little preparation or training, little introduction, little knowledge of what was expected of you or what you could expect of others. No one asked how you were doing, helped you get better, even made it clear what you're supposed to be doing there. Does that ring a bell for anybody? <laughs> So today I want to talk about two things that apply to the next few years of your life, regardless of your career or life path. I'm going to speak of it in terms of missions, but these are universal needs and uh, principles. So these are principles you might not first think of. Preparation and leadership. Author Paul David Tripp talks about the three things we need as a community of Christ. We need vision, we need commitment, and we need training or preparation. So yesterday we talked about vision and commitment. Today I want to talk about preparation and also as well as, as leadership. So let me give you a little background on what I do, who Jim is. I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but just kind of walk you through uh, a quick summary of kind of my path since getting to the field. So we came to France to work in a local church. Um, churches in France are usually pretty small, usually have one staff person, maybe full-time. Um, and so my job was... How can I help equip, encourage, enable this French church? It was about 100 people. And uh, like I said yesterday, you know, you come in with ideas of what you're going to do, and those don't usually last real long. You have a plan, you hold it lightly, and God changes it. That was our case. I thought I'd be doing all this men's ministry and small groups. Well, it turns out that's not quite what I ended up doing. It was okay. Part of the other thing I was asked to do is because I came out of a business background, could I help with some administrative tasks for our team in France, which at the time was about 20 or 25 people. So, great. So I'm cranking along on that for a while, and after about a year, year and a half, my boss at the time said, oh, by the way, I need to go back to the States for a year, so here's kind of the proverbial keys. See you in a year. Take care of things for me. Okay. So now, granted, we've been working, working together. I knew fairly well what he was doing and so on. But, you know, that year, I just barely kept my head above water. It was maintenance mode. Uh, I can't say I did a great job. But it, it, it worked all right. He came back and said, look... Our team is growing. I want to continue to be involved locally in my own ministry, and I can't do both. So how about we share this job uh, so that we can each do hands-on ministry and help guide this team? And that worked out great. We did that together for seven years, I think, and we were a good team. We have very complementary skill sets. We got on well, and it, God really blessed it and used us in some really fun ways. A few years later, I was asked to take on a regional role, so kind of help equip and enable teams across part of Europe. Very interesting to the point now that my job basically is responsible. I'm responsible for our teams across Europe. Um, how do we work with partners? What are we doing? And how do we help people be successful in that? And that's been the theme of what I've done these last couple of years. How do I help people be successful and to thrive both personally and professionally in their ministry roles? So just so you know, Greater Europe Mission is a non-denominational missions organization the focus is specifically on Europe, as they say is our middle name, Greater Europe Mission. Um, our mission is to reach Europe by making disciples who will make disciples and growing Christ's church. 
We want to see God's kingdom expand through all peoples of Europe and on to the rest of the world. And we have an amazing point in time in history right now to be a part of that as people come to Europe. So a couple years ago, we were thinking about who are we? What are we as an organization? What's our personality, if you will? What makes us different or unique? And so as we thought about that, we thought about six things that, just like any personality, none of them are, are unique or special, but when you put that recipe of things together, it kind of says who we are. And so the things we, we identified was, one, transformation. Our, our heart is that for us to be able to be effective, for God to use us to help transform others, he's got to be transforming us first. And that's an ongoing thing. And that sounds obvious, but it's very easy to, we were just having a conversation out there, it's very easy to get into your goals and your objectives. Here's what I'm going to accomplish this year, and I becomes the key word, right? So here's what I'm going to get done, here's what I have to do, and I'm going to make this happen, and forgetting that actually God's working in us, and he wants to use us, but he's got to, we've got to let him work in us. So transformation. The second one is passion. We are passionate about seeing people reach for Christ in Europe. We see people around us, there are people around us dying every day who've never had that opportunity to know Christ or be, to hear about him. So we're passionate about sharing the gospel in Europe. The third thing was humility. We know it ain't about us. God doesn't need us, like I said yesterday, but he will use us. And we don't have the secret formula. We're just part of, the, part of who he uses. And so humility is a, a thing that we really value and, and, and uh, is part of our personality. We, at least we strive to be that way. The next thing was leadership. We want to make sure everyone in our organization is well-led, developed, and cared for. I'm going to come back and talk to that, about that in a minute. Just making that a priority and striving to do that uh, for our people. The fifth is community. We want to collaborate. We want to make sure we're holding one another to high standards, sharpening iron, sharpening iron with one another, and um, really valuing diverse perspectives within uh, orthodoxy, obviously, but diverse approaches and methodologies to be contextualized uh, for where people are. And the last one is stewardship. When we think about stewardship, you typically think of what? Money, right? And that's an important part of it. But there's also, what about stewardship of your time? What about stewardship of the people that you know, of relationships, of networks, of partnerships? So the, how do we be those good and faithful stewards? So anyway, just kind of give you a little bit of an idea how we think as an organization. What's kind of our personality and what are some of those unique things that when you put them together makes us who we are. Okay, another question for you. Who here has some sort of missions or ministry experience? Could be a short-term trip, could be internships, volunteering, local outreach. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. The one missionary kid in the room. Sorry. Um, so for those of you who've done some missions or outreach work before, did you get any time of preparation or training before you went? Yes, no. Give me two or three examples of what, what did that training look like? Great. So for a month ahead of time, is that what you said? Good. Good. Somebody else had their hand up. What kind of preparation did you get before you did your ministry? Yes, ma'am.
Excellent. Skype calls to learn about culture and how it, how it worked there. That's good. Uh, one more. Yes, sir. Really? So you actually basically uh, tried to create an environment to experience what you would be experiencing when you got there. That's great. Good. Very good. So for me, as I think about this, would it have made a difference for me when my boss left that year if I had been better trained and prepared ahead of time? And I can pretty honestly say yes, it would have. I'm assuming for those of you who had training that it made a difference when you got there, right? So what is preparation? I think I would, I would, I would identify four aspects of, of preparation. One, it's clarity on what you're doing. What's the challenge? What's, why am I doing this? So you've got to be clear on that. And actually, that sounds really basic, but you'd be amazed how often that's not clear. Number two, equipping with tools to get the job done. Do I have what I need? Have I been trained to do it? Number three, providing knowledge and access to resources and backing. So I've tr you've been trained to do it, but how do I get the things I need? And, and is somebody going to have my back when I'm there to help me when I need help? And number four, creating community to get it done and to support one another because it's amazing how much more we can do together. So those are the four things I would identify as key aspects of, of preparation. Clarity, equipping, knowledge and backing, uh, and creating community. Does that make sense? Okay. Something else I've, I've noticed in ministry is oftentimes people have an unstated or maybe even stated attitude of, you know, I don't, I don't do what we're going to do there yet, but when I get there, I'll, I'll do it better. So, you know, I don't, I don't share the gospel right now because it's kind of embarrassing because some friends might see me, but when I get there and know I don't know anybody, I'm going to be great at sharing the gospel. Or, yeah, I haven't really discipled anybody, but I think when I get to Europe, I, I'll be pretty good at it. Well, let me... Let me pop your bubble. If you ain't doing it at home, you ain't going to do it when you get there. And so that's something we've really had to address with a lot of people. And actually, we'll sometimes stop people from coming and say, hey, look, um, we'd like you to get some more experience. For me, before we went to the mission field, part of my preparation was, they said, you know, we'd like you to get a little more experience sharing the gospel. And so I ended up manning phones for a Billy Graham crusade and talking to people, calling in, hey, I saw this. Help me think this through. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, it totally opened my eyes and changed how I viewed things. So let me transition now to leadership. One of the things I've come to see and experience is that the far majority of people who come into ministry and to Christian organizations as a whole have the best of intentions. They want to serve. They want to help. They're often willing to make some significant personal sacrifices and do hard things. They value relationships and have the courage to go after what they believe in. But best intentions only go so far. We all need direction, we need community, we need support and accountability, and that's the role of leadership. So what does leadership do and why does it matter? I think first of all, God made us for community, right? So if we take that into consideration. Um, I've seen how much more we can accomplish together than we can do that independently. So if we're in community and we're trying to accomplish something together, that means we need organization, right? Otherwise, it's just chaos. So organizations and community that require leadership because leadership is about helping others perform a given task. And effective leadership enables an effective organization to work together in a healthy and productive way. Is that 
tracking with me? Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> so what is leadership? When you think of a biblical or Christian example of leadership, what term do you think of? Or what terms do you think of? What kind of leadership? Servant. Yes. Well done, Lee. So even in the secular world, there's a lot of talk about servant leadership. And I think it's really important. Where does that come from biblically? What example do you think of when you think of servant leadership? More specifically, there's a specific story or two that you think of? Yes. Yes. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Perfect. So servant leadership is really good, really important. But what if I were to tell you that the model of leadership the Bible uses is something a little bit... The dominant leadership model of Scripture is different than that. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to pull up a couple of different verses we're going to look at quickly. And actually, I'd like somebody to read a few of these. Psalm 23. We're not going to do the whole thing, but just part of it. John 10, 15. 14 and 15, excuse me. And John 21, 15 through 17. So who has Psalm 23? Yeah, go ahead. No, just read the first couple lines. Ah, thank you. We'll get a mic, actually. Lines of Psalm 23. Yep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Great. Thank you. Perfect. Who has John 10, 14, and 15? I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Thank you. John 21, 15 through 17. We have that. Just behind you there. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Thank you. And then I'll uh, read 1 Peter 5. Uh, this is 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Um, Be shepherds of God, God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being flock, examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Are you seeing a theme here? What is it? Shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk about the shepherd model of leadership. So what does a shepherd do? You see some of these things in here. I think there's a couple different things. Uh, a shepherd leads his sheep, right? Where are we going? He develops them. He helps them to grow, to be healthy, and he takes care of them. He protects them. And so what we talk about in Greater Europe Mission 
is the lead developed care model of leadership, and it's been revolutionary for us. Now, there's lots and lots of models of leadership out there, and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. I'm not saying this is the only one, but for us, this has been really helpful. Um, and so when we talk about lead developed care, let me tell you what I mean specifically by that. So if, oftentimes when we think of leadership, we think of management, making sure people get their job done, is their report done, are they taking care of their money well, and so on. Well, that's an important piece of it, but actually when we talk about leadership, Leadership is about setting direction. Where are we going together? If we're going to accomplish a given task, how are we, where are we trying to get to? Second part of it is aligning. What's each person's individual part of that? How do we do it together? And then motivating them. How do you get people to really give their best? And then managing it, make sure those tasks are getting done well. So set direction, align, motivate, and manage. And then there's the develop piece. We want to help people to grow into the best that they can be. How has God made them? What skills has he given? That means we've got to teach them. We have to help them. We have to model things to them and then coach them as they get to know that, helping them guide them through that. And then the care piece of it is to, to care for people well, you've got to know them, right? You've got to stay connected to them. You've got to provide for them. And sometimes you have to protect them. And actually in my role, a lot of times what I end up protecting people from is ourselves, frankly. Um, you know, hey, you can't work, you can't push this hard for that long, you're going to burn up, for example. So lead developed care. One of the things we find too is that many people are like, you know, I really am a care person, and so I'm going to let other people take care of that develop and lead stuff, or I'm a lead person, I don't need to care about people because we got other people to care for them. And that is a complete and false assumption. One of the things we found is you've got to have what we call a minimum competency in each of these areas. Now everyone has a strength, so everyone typically has a strength area, a stretch area where like, I can do this, it's not my favorite, but I can do it, and a struggle area where like, oh, this is really hard. Uh, I, I struggle with this one. So what we talk about is how do we help people get to a minimum level of competency in all these while still using the strengths that God's given them. In our organization, this is just revolutionized who we are because we now have a common vocabulary of what can you expect of your leader, what can I expect of you, what should I expect of myself, et cetera. We were at a stage a couple years ago um, where leadership meant manage. And it almost become kind of this proverbial, you know, if you've got a bunch of soldiers lined up, hey, we need to volunteer. And everybody takes a step back, and the one guy's left there, like, I'll do it, it's me, you know? And their, their attitude is basically, well, I can add that to whatever else I'm doing. But as we started talking about this, how do we again be good stewards? It's become much more of, look, actually, if I can invest in people and help them to be the best they can be, I'm actually multiplying my efforts for the Lord. They can be more effective, much more than I could ever do on my own. They can be more effective than they could be on their own. Together we can do this. And it's just changed who we are as a group. It's been really, really cool to see as people, also as they start to get more secure in knowing that they, somebody's got their back, that they know where they're going, what they know their role is in this, suddenly they're not so worried about, well, what's coming next? Or is somebody gonna support me? and they can put their energy into the job they're there to do, which is to share the gospel, instead of all these other things that, you know, concerns and so on. Now, we've not arrived, we're all still working on this, but it has been really cool to see how God's used, what you don't think about necessarily in missions, leadership, uh, principles, to help us be more effective and to be, see more people uh, exposed to the gospel. So the reason I'm sharing this all with you is, you know, as you consider jobs, opportunities, organizations, Think about, A, the value of preparation. Will this organization equip me to get the job done? And B, the value of a leader of integrity, 
of vision and humility? Will they lead, develop, and care for you, helping you to be the best you can be and to reach your highest potential that God's made you to have? Each of you is going to be soon enough looking for, to join another organization of some sort. It could be a job, grad school, church, volunteer environment, or maybe you'll start your own company. Maybe some of you will probably start a church. Some of you will have your own families, small groups, all kinds of opportunities. But soon enough, you'll each be given responsibility to lead others towards a goal, be it in your work life or personal life. And so I just want to encourage you to think about this in terms of stewardship. How do I steward that responsibility well? How do I help the people to be the best they can be? How do I use my time, energy, and relationships and opportunities to God's glory? And to keep in mind that good leadership can affect lives and families. So even in the workplace, if people are led well, that it can help them in their, in their personal life as well. Bad leadership will also affect people. Actually, we were just having a conversation before we started uh, the session here about the difference that can make in someone's personal life. I want to be a good and faithful steward, and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful steward. And I want that for you as well. So, Let me stop there. Uh, Nicole, are you in here? There you are. So we've got about uh, 10, a little over 10 minutes, excuse me. And I would love just to hear any questions you have. It could be about leadership, it could be about preparation, life in Europe, missions. How can we help you today? And there are mics that will be uh, passed out, so hold off, hold off until you get a mic to ask your question. Go and raise your hand if you have a question. Um, yesterday you mentioned that uh, France was one of the most difficult countries to do missions in, or you had heard that before you went. Can you speak to a little bit to like why that might be or why that is? Yeah. So that was, just to remind you, that was the missions pastor response when I said we're thinking about going to France. Yeah, yeah. That's good. France is probably one of the hardest places I can think of. So that wasn't really encouraging. But um, it was what we needed to hear, like I said. And the thought was at that point, I think there was kind of an old thinking that's starting to shift of Europe and especially a few Latin countries as being kind of the graveyard of missionaries where people go and give their lives and see very little fruit. Uh, and in addition to that, really got beat up in the process. Part of that's history, um, both political and church history. Um, you know, the Reformation, John Calvin was born, was from a town an hour from my house and then had to flee the country to, for his life. So there goes, you know, there's a lot of that background. But I think that's shifted and people don't think that way so much anymore because they're seeing the fruit that God's giving there and they're seeing that there's things happening. The gospel is alive. There's a lot of work to do, but stuff is happening. I'm gonna talk about that actually some more tomorrow too. At that point in time, that comment scared me a lot but now I don't think I believe it anymore. So, yeah, thanks, good question. So as a leader, how, or I guess together with other leaders, how do you decide when to pull back from or maybe discontinue some evangelistic program or some effort that you've started and maybe tried to hang on to for years? That's a great question, and I think a lot of us are not very good at that. Um, okay, let me, how do I answer? Um, so I think a lot of us are not good at it because we have this great faith, but sometimes it's a bit of a blind faith, and sometimes that faith becomes blinded by our own ambition. I should probably be careful what I, how I say this. 
Um, we want to see God do things, but sometimes we need to stop and pull back and say, is this where really God wants us right now? And so I think part of that's measuring things, you know? What kind of effort are we putting into it? Our job is to give our best effort, right? The results are God's. But where is God working? If he's not working here, is this the best use of my effort or not? And you know, having, having a, a plan of how long do we want to do this and what's, what are our, what's success look like? And it's going to vary. You know, success in Africa is going to maybe be different than success in France. Success in Paris may be different than success in rural France. But knowing the context well enough to say, yes, this is worth continuing to do or not, and then having those honest conversations and having someone outside of the context have that conversation with you too to give that other perspective. But yeah, that's a tough one, especially when you put your heart and life into something. What are effective ways of reaching people in France that wouldn't work here? Like what type of unique evangelism strategies do you use there? It depends on the person. So conventional wisdom would say that door-to-door -door evangelism never works in, in, in France or Europe, really. And yet I know a guy who, he makes it work. He sees people coming to Christ by doing that. And so there's a bit of personality uh, and then within the context, too. But generally speaking, it's about relationships. Um, you know, preaching on the street corner is not going to do much. But when you get into relationships, people can have those deeper conversations. That's, that's much more effective. Uh, you've got to be educated, I think, on some of the philosophical and, and history background of the culture as well. You can speak to that. Um, the French love to debate, but debate doesn't mean you need to get to an end. Debate is the sport, and so you've got to be careful not to just get caught in a debate for debate's sake. And you know, so what is this? You know, how do you get personal application into this too? So I don't know. That there's no magic bullet. It's going to depend on the person who's doing it and the context they're in. But those are just some of the general things I see right now. Thanks. Uh, someone down here had a question, and then the second one. Cat, uh, can we get a mic up here? Oh, sorry. I just wanted to ask the flip side of the question that was asked earlier. As a leader, when you're beginning a program, what are the general criteria you might look at, specifically, in, of course, in regards to France? in your area? Great question. So the question, let me make, make sure I understand this. How do you evaluate an opportunity of whether or not it's a viable and reasonable opportunity to invest in? Okay. Yeah, uh, so a couple of things. Um, one, are you clear on what your strategy is to begin with? Right? Because there's always tons of good opportunities, right? There's more than we could ever do. But what, again, you know, thinking back to what our personality is, for example, as an organization, what are we good at? What are we maybe not so good at? And what is that, how does that play into what we see here? So um, I think that would be the first part, being clear on who you are and what your vision is. Secondly, is God working there already? You know, why is this an opportunity or not? Uh, is it because it's something you dream of or is it because you see some, some, something already happening? So one of the things we're looking around right now in Europe is where are church planning movements happening? We don't need to go start our, we could try to start our own, but we'd be much more effective if we get on board with what's already happened. How can we support that? So I think that would be a second thing. Um, you gotta evaluate your resources. Uh, do I have the resources to make this happen to the best of our ability? 
so almost like a business plan in some ways. Thinking about you know what are the what are the opportunities, what are the threats, strengths, weaknesses, that kind of thing. Um, and then obviously, I mean, just praying super hard about it and saying, God, is this open and closed doors for us? You know, are there others that would agree this is a good idea or not? Uh, and just thinking through strategically, does this make sense? Yes. Could I, can I ask a quick question? Oh, sorry. I don't uh, know. Nicole. Yeah. Um, Nicole, I was wondering, could you just share um, some unique opportunities that you have as a young woman on the mission field? Thank you. Um, okay, so I... It's you, but, but unique opportunities that young women might have that yeah. you've experienced and that you've seen would be awesome. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'll speak for me personally. I've spent, usually when I go over to Europe and serve, I spend time in Athens, Greece working with refugees there and um, some things I've seen even with refugees it can be difficult because working in a with Middle Easterns as a woman you can't really do a whole lot with the men you can't even look at them and make eye contact with them unless they're looking at you or approaching you and so that's something that you have to be aware of but as a woman being able to minister to the Middle Eastern women is such a unique um, opportunity so the very first time I went to Greece, I worked in a relief center, and there it was a place where they could do laundry, they could have tea, they could have snacks, um, learn English, and learn about like even sewing. And something that was my favorite part was being in the laundry room, because it was just the women in there, and you know they they would take off their head dressings, and that was just something you never see outside of that. And you got to watch them just be women, and like have girl talk and just, you know, be with each other. And it was really cool to kind of watch their guard come down and also ask questions that they wouldn't ask if their husband was present or if a man was present to you. And so women's ministry, you know, as a whole, is a very cool and unique opportunity, especially among refugee women. We have a couple relief centers that we partner with in Athens where we're starting to develop some women's ministry programs there and it's really, really cool stuff is happening with that, like Bible studies. And something I was sharing yesterday is how receptive and open refugees and Muslims are to wanting to hear about Christianity and wanting to know more about it. So they're definitely searching and hoping. Um, outside of that, we, I can't speak a lot to a lot of the other countries that we're in, but. Um, like very similar with the refugee ministry that we do, we are developing a lot more women's ministry stuff and a lot of even girls, like high school girls, so doing a lot of youth ministry things within local schools that we're connected in um, and starting different programs in that sense. And then another thing that we're seeing growth in within GEM is the want for more worship opportunities. So something that I've heard and seen is how churches will use like YouTube videos or just pull up and play a song out of a speaker. But there's a lot of students who are music majors or worship majors and wanting to use that in a different capacity. So if you can sing or if you can play an instrument, like that's definitely needed and wanted across Europe as well. So that was. All right, one more question, great. Um, my quick question, just about, you mentioned collaboration. Um, I have a bunch of friends that have served in France, uh, both long-term and short-term. 
um, and they're with Mission to the World uh, and other organizations. Could you speak a little bit about, since you guys, as GEM, do you guys collaborate with other missions organizations? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we're non-denominational, so actually that gives us some freedom um, to work with a lot of different organizations who uh, adhere to some, some basic theology. And, uh, you know, we're not the only guy in town. We're not the biggest or anything. And so for us, it's a real priority to actually collaborate significantly with other, other missions groups, national partners, and so on. In fact, um, we actually share some staff with, uh, with MTW in a couple of cases, I believe, and others where we'll sagun people back and forth. So absolutely, and that's, it's a great thing because it gives us a more uh, a diversity of ideas and thoughts and approaches that helps us all be better. So yeah, that's a big priority for us, thanks. All right, I think I need to end there. Uh, thank you all for being here today, I really appreciate it. Let me pray for you, and you know, again, I just wanna encourage you, as you're thinking about these next steps of life, think about, as you look at organizations, will I be best, how will I be prepared, and how will I be led? And as you have opportunities to influence others, think about how, what, that shepherd, what it means to be a good shepherd and to steward the resources you're given. So, because we all want to be those good and faithful servants. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this group. Thank you for the opportunity to spend time together just thinking about what you're calling us to be, what you're calling us to do. I pray for each people, person here. I pray for this group. You would help us all to be those good and faithful stewards and to, um, Lord, just use what you've given us to the best of our abilities to be the most uh, we can be through and as we can only be through you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you continually sharpen us. And thank you that you have a story for each of us in your name. Amen. Thank you.